You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Go Away U Fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello, hello. Blake, Iowa Gopher. Happy to be here, as always. And U Street. Hey, y'all. Hey, we won a game that I didn't really watch, but that I was told had good offense and terrible defense. That's all I've got as an intro. I'm going to you, Andy. Talk about Indiana. Well, it was wet, uh, that's for sure, considering I'm pretty sure I was the only person on this podcast who was sitting outside for that, you know, fun 45-degree rainstorm last Friday night. Do you mind if I briefly jump in here, Andy, to share a moment of joy that occurred on the Friday night game? Go right ahead. So, at some point, I believe it was the third quarter, Andy sent a picture of himself to all of us, which is now my desktop background, (laughs) and every time I look at it... I uh, achieve great joy because he both looks incredibly miserable, but also somber and ready to face what is for him, which I in many think is the way that Gopher fans actually work. Yeah, that sounds pretty much about right. (laughs) Uh, And see, for me, I also saw just a hint of joy in his eyes, so perhaps that makes me the optimist of the bunch. Well, well, it was right after halftime, so it was when we were still sitting on a nice large lead and before the horrors of the Rob Smith defense came back to uh, bite us in the ass. But, um, yeah, no, the, the offense, big points. Tanner Morgan looked like uh, a guy who can start for a Big Ten team. He was making all the throws that need to be made. Um, Tyler Johnson Rashad Bateman were acting like, you know, all Big Ten receivers. Uh, the Gophers got a pretty good running performance out of Shannon Brooks. Um, unfortunately, it sounds like that might be the only running performance they're going to get from Shannon Brooks in 2018. Um, no, all-in-all all offense was was pretty impressive. Um, defense, once again, we've got some issues, which I'll leave to uh, to Street and, and Blake to more elegantly um, try not to swear all over this podcast. But, um, you know... Uh, as some people may have seen in the uh, in the uh, group recap, I was the positive one even after Rob Smith uh, and his defense caused the game to be tied before uh, we should come up with a good name for the uh, Morgan debatement. You know, it's, obviously it was, you know, not quite, you know, the Miracle Hail Mary, but it, it will stand down as one of the more impressive plays of this season for the Gophers uh, when they really, really needed it. Um and so, yeah, you know, you got uh, you got a win you needed, and now you go into an Illinois game where you'd better win this Saturday, or else all hell may break loose in the Gopher fan sphere. Um, and then you only need to win one of your last three to make a bowl game. 
uh, which one of those three will be the easiest is is definitely up for argument. But uh, all in all, a win is a win, and uh, you got to feel confident with this offense going into the rest of November. I would point out that all hell has already broken loose in Gopher fandom, and it's because we wore gray uniforms once. So next to that, I kind of feel like losing to Illinois would be nothing at all. I mean, I'm inclined to agree. Everyone knows, you know, it doesn't matter what your record is. As long as you're wearing the school colors, that's, that's really all that matters. So with the, the on-field product just doesn't matter if you're wearing the wrong uniform. So I, I'll be interested to see what kind of uniform combination we've got going um, for Saturday. Because until then, I, don't, I just don't know what to expect from this team. Don't know if we're going to win until you see the colors? <laughs> I, yeah, I really don't. And it, to me, that affects, you know, whether I care or not. Because if I see if they're not wearing school colors, I mean, they might as well just forfeit the game, honestly. I mean, it's, it's, it's an understandable concern given the fact that Friday night's game was only played in the stadium covered in maroon and gold on a field that had tons of maroon and gold, surrounded by coaches and cheerleaders wearing maroon and gold, a helmet that had maroon and gold, gloves that I believe sometimes were maroon and gold. I actually had absolutely no idea which team was playing um, until somebody pointed out to me that all those other things with that I had managed to not see because the uniforms were gray. And that forced me to be colorblind to everything else. Well, I think Rob Smith may have had the same problem. I think he was looking at a different defense for those first three quarters. And then once he realized, oh, wait, we're the team in gray, he then that's when he started calling those that, you know, the not such tight press man coverage. You know, when he wanted those 10 to 15 yard cushions on the receivers, that's what happened. He, he realized he was thinking about the wrong team. So that's what led to the fourth quarter collapse. So you could say that the uniforms almost single handedly ruined that game for the Gophers, so. I really, on a serious note, want him to just stop doing the soft coverage. Like, it's objectively terrible. We're objectively worse in every facet of the game when we use it. There's just no point. Like, I, I don't even understand why you go back to it at, at, at this moment. Like, Well, I mean, before the game, Fleck, earlier in the week, Fleck was like, you know, we're going to stop trying to be, like, proactive about covering our weaknesses. We're just going to play our scheme. We're going to play our game, and if they beat us, they beat us. And for three quarters, you know, I only was able to watch the second half. I'll let Street talk a little bit more about those first three drives where they got field goals because um, I didn't see those. But, I mean, to go three quarters and hold it any end at nine points, to me, that that's a successful three quarters. Why he – when all of a sudden the offense is coughing up the ball on our side of the 50 and you're going soft coverage, keep everything in front of you, letting Indiana march down the field um, – that I don't understand. I don't know why you don't just continue being aggressive because basically what he did was soft coverage, allow them get, to get back into the game, and it just spiraled from there. Fortunately, they were able to come back, but I just I, I hate the move of being aggressive for three quarters and then being complacent, thinking you can just keep everything in front of you and just put your put your foot on their throat and finish the game. Street, I'm sure you have a totally rational, not in any way upset take on this whole situation with the soft defensive coverage. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> on a practical level, it makes sense that you might want to play soft or a little bit deeper because you want to keep everything in front of you. And if you're in particular worried about your safeties, which you have reason to be, on, I think, what, the fourth or fifth stringer, depending on the game here that you don't want to put them in situations where your safety coverage is going to be a problem the thing is that would make sense if you weren't giving up a regular amount of chunk plays in how you're currently playing but you are giving up a bunch of chunk plays in how you're playing 
And keeping everything super deep is also making it more difficult to actually get run support because every single safety has to come crashing in from about 12 to 15 yards because they're playing super deep. This is a problem. It's also unclear to me why it's not as if the quarterback lined up across from you is an NFL prospect. Make him throw the ball deep. Trust your trust your cornerbacks to do their job. And I will say that the, this was to me this was the best game from the two safeties, two starting safeties, Huff and Howden. I thought Howden by far this was his best game of this season. So it was nice to see those two have a complete game because I mean the two the two of the late touchdowns I think one came over um, Terrell Smith down the sideline, the other one I think Justice Harris got beat deep. So I thought the safeties did play well for the most part, which Howden we know he struggled. Um, quite a bit up to this point so that that was at least encouraging to see um, from my point of view all right so at this point it seems pretty clear that we're not going to see a healthy Zach Anikstead this weekend we're going to be looking at Tanner Morgan at quarterback let's just assume that for uh, Purdue onward you have both a healthy Zach Anikstead and a healthy Tanner Morgan who do you play we're going to go full QB gaze here who do you play uh, and let's start with Street. Is in Anikstead is 100% healthy? Yes, 100% healthy. You play Anikstead. Why? Anikstead gives you a couple of things that Morgan does not give you. And it's somewhat difficult to remember this because Anikstead has been hurt for a long period of time after he was murdered by the right side of his offensive line. But when he was fully healthy, Anikstead is also mobile. So the QB run game, which was used reasonably successfully the last couple of weeks, uh, with Morgan coming in and then obviously the full game against Indiana, is something that he can very much do. The Gophers were much better when he was very mobile. Anikstead does give you a better ball on intermediate to long throws, with the noted exception that Morgan's deep throw to Bateman was straight up amazing and a perfect toss on average part of the reason why the coaches went with Anikstead over Morgan is they thought that Anikstead was a better passer on the intermediate to deep balls Morgan does a lot of nice things for you I really enjoy his use of his eyes and his footwork making sure to look defenders off which is something that I think Anikstead has struggled with a little bit this year on the other hand when the RPOs are working which they have been for Morgan and I think part of that is Morgan has faced some very bad defenses in Nebraska and Indiana is that if all you got to do is make sure a linebacker bites and then throw a slant to Tyler Johnson Zach Anikstead is extremely good at doing that so I think you would ride the quarterback who's was your starter from day one and has been pretty successful I think it is a very nice problem to have Either of you guys disagree with uh, Street on this one? No, I think he took the words right out of my mouth. You know, I, I might go the other way. Um, I, I think it's definitely, you know, up, a lot is up for debate. Um, but I think you have to see what Morgan does this week. I mean, granted, we're going against an Illinois secondary that's pretty much hot garbage. But if he lights it up again, you know, I don't think he pulled the hot hand. I mean, Anixon might be full 100%, although, you know, I'm going to guess that it's going to be really tough for him to be 100% until the offseason, to tell you the truth. I agree. Um, so, but if Morgan lights it up again this week against Illinois, I, I don't think you yank him. I think you go with the hot hand, and, you know, if he lays out a stinker against Purdue and you think Annex stands 100% healthy, then we have this discussion for Northwestern. Um, but, but if Morgan's clicking and the offense is clicking with Morgan, I don't think you make a change. I think you ride that uh, as long as you can. 
Yeah, and I, I should be clear. I'm I'm pretty hypothetical here because I do agree with with all you guys in terms of Anixted not uh, probably not being 100% the rest of the year because separate from what appears to be a fairly serious injury sustained at Nebraska, golly, his leg was just his leg was just not right um, for for a long time. I mean, most of the season, and there's I don't know that feels like something that's going to take some sustained work and some, excuse me, sustained rest, um, before it's something that would fully improve. So, all right, well, we'll get, I guess we'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, I mean, the best case scenario is Morgan makes it a hard decision because that means Morgan's playing well. And it means that we're likely in, you know, fighting for a bowl still. So I like that option. Um, we're going to go away from the Gophers for a minute. And I have to ask simply the fuck is wrong with Maryland? And Streets got all sorts of thoughts on this, so I'm going right to him. Well, if you are listening to this when it gets put out probably later this week, you'll have noted the two things happened. First, that Maryland elected to bring back DJ Durkin, and less than 24 hours later, Maryland fired DJ Durkin, or more specifically, the president who is on his way out because he's resigned, Wallace Lowe, seems to have fired DJ Durkin. And he did so... After, well, before, obviously, he fired and then penned a letter that basically said that the Board of Regents, who wanted him to not fire DJ Durkin, were full of it, and he was doing it anyway, and then he was resigning, which is a very strong power play by Wallace Lowe. I would like to note broadly, given that Wallace Lowe has made a whole bunch of really miserable decisions, that he may go down in history as one of those administrators who fell ass backwards into several good things. First, both getting the free money that was joining the Big Ten Conference, and now secondly, finally being an actual human with a scrape of a moral code. The fact that there was any situation whatsoever and that you bring DJ Durkin back to be the head coach of a program after DJ Durkin oversaw a strength and conditioning program that killed a kid is unconscionable. And the assumption that it is acceptable because somehow he was either a first-time head coach is ridiculous. Or perhaps it is that he didn't get enough hand-holding from the rest of the department, as if somehow being a 36, 38-year-old man on this planet requires you to have enough hand-holding to realize that maybe you shouldn't kill a kid in off-season workouts. Jordan McNair, by all accounts, was a wonderful person, but he didn't even have to be a wonderful person. He could have just been a person. He didn't deserve to die. We live in a day and age where the notion of heat exhaustion and heat stroke is not only a solved problem, it's been a solved problem for so long that there are obvious procedures in way to handle this. And if that was the only problem that was associated with DJ Durkin's tenure at Maryland, he should have been fired for that reason and that reason only. If you remove from this planet someone with a boatload of potential because of your negligence, you don't deserve to have that job anymore. But that wasn't the only thing that DJ Durkin did. And now, of course, the extent to this is going to be debated, and some people are always going to suggest that there's more stuff than there actually is. But if you're showing videos of animals beating, killing, and ripping up other animals at a breakfast, something is terrifically wrong with your program. And more broadly, there's something fundamentally wrong with the notion that masculinity and toughness has to be associated with toxic culture and abuse. This is the definition of what we notion is toxicity. And for a bunch of people 
who make a large amount of money to be adults in the room, which is fundamentally what you'd expect the Board of Regents supposed to be. Not that they ever usually are, but that's fundamentally their function. To decide that they would prefer not to take a potential hit and believe that somehow that would be helpful is laughably hilarious if it wasn't so unbelievably pathetic. The whole situation is pathetic. And very, very Maryland. I think I think you said it. I, I'm simply going to note that it wasn't just animals ripping into each other. They had um, drills going into eyeballs. That was also a video they showed during breakfast. Which, you know, also very bad. It takes a lot for... Uh somebody to usurp Rutgers is the most embarrassing ad to the Big Ten in the uh, recent few years, but uh, Maryland's on themselves a hot streak this week. Maryland Rutgers just together have been a great package deal for the Big Ten, unquestionably. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's got that's got off-season podcasts. We can do a whole 45 minutes on that. <laughs> Alright, I for one am happy that we turned over the hot takes to uh, street, especially since those takes aren't especially hot so much as they're well-deserved. I want to say one one more brief thing about this. Uh, so there's a player for Maryland named Ellis McKenzie who pointed out uh, very publicly on Twitter two things. The first one is that uh, he was part of the players who clearly were upset by the return of DJ Durkin. But he also tweeted out some general note, which is that it is never the wrong time to do the right thing. And Broadly, I'm not going to ever claim to be a perfect human, far from it. And there are certainly many things in my life, though fortunately none of them has involved killing a kid. But nonetheless, there are many things in my life that I'm sure that I would not be proud of and would want to make a mistake and would want to be able to rectify and atone for that mistake. But if we're going to take one positive thing from this Maryland debacle, it is, it is there is a power. There is a deep power in groups organizing together to fight things that they find to be uh, absolutely wrong. And certainly we can discuss whether or not any given thing is absolutely wrong or if those views should reasonably differ. I don't believe there is a justifiable argument, as I already mentioned, to bring DJ Durkin back, period. But I think it is also clear that this shows an example of when it is the case that college football players can be extremely powerful because they have a great amount of power. How they use that power is difficult and it is often indirect because they don't actually have like true bargaining power in a lot of ways. And they won't unless there is some kind of unionization or an actual true professionalization of the discipline. But I think it's also really important to note that the reason why DJ Durkin does not have a job today is due in great part to a lot of people standing up and demanding that Maryland make the right decision. And I think in many ways, uh, and not to be too like trite about it, but those people are very much heroes word all right are we able to just like promise that minnesota wins against illinois or is this the part where we're going to turn it over to blake he's going to preview illinois they're going to be hot stinky garbage really bad in all all phases and at the end of it we still have to go eh, but we could still lose somehow has anybody checked the uh health records and seeing if there's any cases of the flu going around the gopher locker room this week you know, I've not I've not heard any uh, reports of the flu, but I mean, I, I get your point. Cause, I mean, the, I think the Gophers have won six of their last seven <clears throat> against Illinois, and yeah, that one loss was that 2014 flu game. 
yeah, just can't let it go. Fucking Illinois and the flu. All right, Blake, break it down for us. Like, what, what, yeah, just, Illinois is terrible. Tell us how terrible they are. Yeah, I mean, they're not good. Um, they're, they've got three wins on the season. Kent State, Western Illinois, and Rutgers. Um, they've given up six or three points twice in Big Ten play. Once to Penn State and then just last week to Maryland. Um, defensively, yeah, their defensive coordinator, Hardy Nickerson, who's been a defensive coordinator for the last three years, um, resigned this week, um, citing, I believe, personal health reasons, but um, I'm not sure how much I buy into that. Um, so for Saturday, head coach Lovey Smith will assume defensive coordinator duties. Um, that'll be interesting. I don't think he's called defensive plays for quite a while. I know he had, I don't think he's done so in his career at Illinois. So, um, that to me will be interesting. You know, the good news for him is he's got nowhere to go but up. Um, Illinois has been incredibly bad defensively. I mean, if you thought Minnesota's defense was bad, you really haven't seen anything yet. Um, Illinois defense ranks 118th in passing defense. They're giving up about 287 yards per game passing. Um, they rank 112th. In rushing defense, they're giving up about 248 yards rushing, and they're 119th in scoring defense, giving up about 37 points a game. Um, the problem for them is similar to Minnesota. They have a lot of youth. I think uh, seven of their stars on defense are either a freshman or sophomore, and then if you expand it to the two deep, they've got 16 freshmen or sophomore um, in that defensive two deep, and it's just not, <laughs> it's just not working out for them. Um, I mean, to say they're susceptible to big plays would be an understatement. They gave up, I think, like 54-yard, 43-yard, 25-yard, 27-yard, 64-yard, 46-yard touchdowns all in one game last week to Maryland. I mean, we saw we saw what Maryland did to Minnesota, and they were even more successful against Illinois. Uh, they do have some talent. I mean, they've got a good one. Well, the lone starting senior on defense is Delshawn Phillips, at linebacker, and he leads the team in tackles and interceptions. They just don't have anything around him. Um, their linebackers are, aren't athletic, and so when the card up position, they can't recover. Um, they really don't have much of a pass rush. I mean, they've got one defensive end. He's a sophomore. Bobby Roundtree is pretty good. He's got 7.5 tackles for loss, four sacks, um, but they just can't stop the run. I think they're 125th in stuff rate, according to S&P Plus, um, and their secondary just looks lost. I mean, it's just they've got a lot of young guys. They've got two, two upperclassmen in the 2D um, and the secondary and the distress of the unit just is very green, and um, they don't really need they don't really seem to know what they're doing. Uh, so defensively, with how much Minnesota's clicking right now, I I would think that they're re- going to be able to score on them. Um, obviously, the other conversation is the Illinois offense versus Minnesota defense, um, and the Illinois offense does have some talent. Um, the biggest name to worry about is Reggie Corbin. He's their junior running back. Um, he's Far and away, their best player on offense. He's got, I think, 739 rushing yards on the season, seven touchdowns. Um, he's reached the century mark in three of his last four games. Um, and they run a spread-type offense, and he's just one of those shifty backs. He's always going to get his yards. Um, he's, tough to, he's tough to get a hand on, uh, which has been a problem for Minnesota in the past. Um, unfortunately for Reggie, the rest of the offense is a little shaky. Um, at quarterback, I'm... I'm not real sure who's going to start. Um, grad transfer A.J. Bush was the starter to start the season, but um, freshman AJ, not AJ, M.J. Rivers um, has kind of pulled even with him, and Rivers, I think, he even started on Saturday against Maryland but left the game with a concussion. 
Uh, the big, big difference between those two, I think, is Bush is a more dynamic runner, where Rivers is a better passer. Um, so I don't know necessarily if having Bush in uh, as quarterback is beneficial to the Gophers, since we saw they struggled against Adrian Martinez being able to scramble out of the pocket and extend plays. So, um, and because of their struggles in the passing game, they're I don't quite know what to make of their receiving core. I know they lost Mikey Dudek for like the 50th time at the beginning of the season. Um, and they just don't have a lot of good numbers at, at wide receiver. I mean, their best wide receiver, I think, is um, junior Trinard Davis. He's got 25 receptions and 255 receiving yards. And no one else has more than 20 receptions or 200 receiving yards. It kind of reminds me of the Gover passing game in years past, where they had just had one good receiver and everyone else kind of had a few receptions here and there. So... Um, I don't know if it's a talent issue or just coaching, but the offense just can't seem to get a rhythm. Um, they, I mean, obviously, the name to, work, to watch out for is Reggie Corbin. So um, we'll we'll see how it goes. I obviously, like I said, I don't know if we can guarantee a Minnesota win, just because I, I I felt similar uh, to the Nebraska game previous to that. I thought Minnesota's had a good shot against how awful their defense is. This kind of seems like a similar scenario. So I'm just kind of hesitant, but you you would think this is going to be a surefire win. But I just with this team, I just I can't go there. I don't know, Blake. What you're describing feels like a game where Minnesota could wear gray and still pull a victory. Yeah, it's entirely possible. If they if they wear gray, that's going to set them back obviously several decades. But um, I, I just think if they if they can get enough stops on defense and take advantage of this defense, it's gonna. They should be able to win. It's just like it's one of those you you, you want to say they will win this game, but you just can't quite get there yet. Uh, I do think they will win this game, but I just don't think we can. Yeah, we're not going to sit there and, and automatically predict it or anything. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say Illinois is the team that might be wearing gray, although I think they've already worn their their gray galloping ghost uniforms for homecoming like they did against us a couple of years ago. So they'll probably be be wearing their blues, but. Uh, but what happens if Illinois wears gray? How does that figure into things? Uh, I can tell you from the limited, I pay attention to their Twitter. Um, they will hate it as much as Minnesota fans seem to hate gray for the Gophers. I assume they'll also accuse us of targeting. Who was who was it that, oh, was it Duke McGee? Duke, Duke McGee. McGee. Yeah. Duke McGee single-handedly proved that Minnesota was a dirty team because reasons. But he's gone now. He's gone, so the team's clean. Yeah, that, that bad influence is gone. So Illinois should be, or their fan base should be satisfied that uh, he's no, he won't be on the field Saturday. So that, that should give them some comfort. To be fair, their fan base has never claimed that they had connections such that they could remove our advertising dollars. Thank you, Rutgers. But their various, uh, I don't know, Illinois stands are a class unto themselves. I feel for them as a fan of a long-suffering football team, but at least you know Minnesota's offense. Like you said, we we feel pretty comfortable comfortable with that. And it'll be interesting to see. It sounds like from uh, PJ Flex Press this week that uh, Muhammad Ibrahim will be will be back and 100% healthy and ready to go at starting running back for the Gophers. Um, obviously, it sounds like Shannon Brooks is is not going to play coming off of whatever injury he may have that everybody's being really cryptic about, but probably will be some form of season-ending knee injury to his right knee, the uh, opposite knee he tore the ACL on in February. Um, 
but I think I feel pretty confident, even with Ibrahim back there, that the Gophers will be able to run the ball fairly well, which should open up the passing game and, and allow, uh, you know, allow Tanner Morgan to find uh, Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, Chris Ottman-Bell downfield, and, and really, hopefully, just... You know, it'd be really nice if the Gophers can do what kind of what they did to Indiana and go up and get a nice big lead, except, you know, not play soft coverage and choke it away this time. Do you think we see another 70% level performance from Tanner Morgan, given how bad Illinois' defense is, or should we just be prepared for a good but not great kind of outing if we're going to be optimistic about how he plays? I mean, I was totally expecting that letdown game against Indiana. Cause, you know, we've seen how many times that the second-string quarterback comes in the second half and looks good, then he gets his first career start and it's a big step back. You know, we saw that last season with Demi Croft. But, I mean, he looked good on Saturday against a not-terrible not Indiana defense. So I I would think he'd be off to a good start against Illinois. I mean, it is, it is a road game. Um, so... I don't know how much of a factor that is, but I would think that with it's how Illinois, it's Illinois, I'm going to say not much of a factor. So just compared to Friday, it'll be a crowd of about ten or fifteen more people. Uh, <laughs> so that, that that increased noise may throw them off a little bit, but um, I would hope, and especially with how good the wide receivers are playing, hoping if Johnson's back. I mean, they just the game plan from I I got to tip my hat to Coach Rocket because some of the routes and the play design. Um, on Friday, I was really impressed, with, especially with that you know, sluggo to win the game. Um, they just ran some great routes and had, had some great plays. I think that was a big part of um, their success on offense. So I think I think Kirk's got a lot more creative this season, especially compared to last season, and I, I think that's part of the reason they've been so successful. But, I mean, they also have the weapons that they didn't have last year. So I think, I think they'll put some points up on the board on Saturday. Moving away from football for a bit, Rachel's back to talk to us everything go for volleyball. The Gophers grabbed another sweep over the weekend, uh, but that's old news thanks to the big win over number five ranked Wisconsin. Rachel, what are your thoughts coming out of uh, the the win last night? This team just goes out and takes care of business night in, night out. Like tonight, did not get off to a great start, but like nothing really affects them. Everything just kind of rolls off. It didn't matter. You know, at first set they had nine errors. Taylor Morgan got off to kind of a terrible start, and as a lot of different players in a lot of off-speed shots. It's not the normal, aggressive team that we're used to. And they still, not that they surrendered the first set, but, like, never, there was no panic. It was just, you know, next point, next point, we'll move on and, you know, finish out this match and with the win. They do just an incredible job of kind of picking up the slack for each other. Donna Rollins was great over the last two sets. First two sets wasn't much of a factor. Third set, she came on and was a difference. You know, set was tied 13 all, and she scores four of the next five points. And then Taylor Morgan rebounded nicely over the back half of the match. It's just, well, makes, you know, Minnesota so hard to defend because you take away one player, somebody's having a bad night, and somebody else just steps up. Seliger Swenson just will set somebody else who will get a kill. And even just those one-on-one matchups, if you take away a cross-court shot or whatnot, then Samity or... Rollins is just going to go line. It's, it's going to take a very balanced team that serves tough, has a big block, a lot of offensive firepower to beat the Gophers. And Wisconsin is not that team. As much as hard as Dana Recchi tried tonight, she could not carry him. She had 30 kills, hit 560. She was just unstoppable on the slide attack. It was just, Wisconsin has doesn't have enough 
good enough pieces around her to get the upset tonight. Like, or this weekend, Purdue-Penn State match, that stat line was good enough to lead a team to an upset. Lastly, Gophers are your 2018 Big Ten champs. Felt very confident saying that coming into not, to the match against Wisconsin, but now, no doubt, your Gophers are got the title in the bag. So how's the Big Ten uh, looking after last weekend? The race now is who will be second. Uh, Illinois and Penn State are 9-3. and three. Wisconsin now dropped to 9-4. and four. But, you know, some players that we thought would be key in this Nebraska, they kind of are still spiraling out of control. They lost five of the last seven. They lost to Illinois last weekend. They're just very high air, not in sync sunk to kind of the middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Purdue had the upset, or, you know, the big upset of the weekend. They beat Penn State for the first time on the road, for the first time since the 80s. They got a tremendous performance from their right side hitter, Sharon Atkinson. She had 32 kills and hit over 500. Um, some other teams, Michigan has kind of been put in their place. You know, they got swept by Minnesota, then they lost to, in five to Wisconsin last weekend. And then Wednesday night, lost in five on the road to IU. So kind of shown maybe a little overrated. Not that Iowa is a factor in any way in the Big Ten race, but they're really slipping after they upset Wisconsin. They beat Rutgers, but now they've lost five in a row. I think they gave Northwestern their first win, and they lost to Maryland. Are the Gophers in the spot where we can pretty much say they've locked up the Big Ten title? Without a doubt now, the conference title's wrapped up. They're still, or Illinois and Penn State still have to play each other again, so they'll take another loss. Penn State plays, well, they, yeah, Penn State still has to play Wisconsin and Nebraska, so there'll be even more separation. Illinois is looking pretty good, like they might finish second in the league, so we'll have to see, but Big Ten title race is pretty well wrapped up at this point. Purdue is the only outside chance at an upset over the Gophers. Yes, they have to go to Penn State, but again, you know, you take that L, doesn't matter. They would have to you know, lose to Ohio State, like and Ohio State and Maryland, which I just don't see happening at all. So it's in the bag for the Gophers at this point. How are the Gophers looking for a seed in the NCAA tournament? And is there any other big news in the past week uh, coming from the rest of the country? Gophers will be a top seed in the NCAA tournament. They're never going to leave Minneapolis at this point. So they'll play first round at home, regional round, final round at home, and obviously the final four. Then conference titles like locked up, and there's no way the Big Ten champion isn't a top seed, and likely whoever finished second will have that fourth top seed. So that could be Illinois or maybe Penn State. There's some other conference races that are... Teams with perfect records. Stanford hasn't lost in the Pac-12, and BYU is still perfect. They've only dropped a set in Western Conference play. SEC is interesting. Kentucky Wednesday night just beat Florida. They're still perfect in the SEC. So it looks like an automatic bid for them. And they've inched back, you know, ranked high earlier in the season, or beginning of the season. Now they're working their way back to the top, towards the top 10. Pitt, who was, you know, one of the other Remaining unbeatens, they lost this last weekend on the road at Duke. Uh, another kind of upset. Hawaii got a ranked win for the first time in a while. They beat Cal Poly, snapping a 26-match conference 
match win streak. Do you think Minnesota's early losses or why they haven't received any first place votes yet in the coaches poll? Those losses are certainly what's holding Minnesota back. Probably most glaringly is they lost to Oregon. That's a bigger deal than losing to Stanford. Because Stanford lost to BYU and already, you know, some of these coaches have came around giving Stanford more and more first place votes as in the last few weeks. But it's interesting, like, um, Minnesota's first weekend, they used Adana Rollins in the front row. So you're throwing a freshman hitter into the lineup. Obviously, there's a lot of room for growth there. It's also interesting, ESPNW just had an article about this, about, you know, who should be number one. And it focused strictly on Stanford and BYU, which they even talked to the Oregon coach. So it's crazy to me. They're talking about number one, and they don't didn't even bring up Minnesota which is the best team and the best conference in the country. seems like they would be in the conversation for best team in the country, but they weren't. Which, of course, ultimately these rankings are meaningless, and if you asked Hugh about them, he'd be as unconcerned as ever. But if you do want to look forward to some rankings, that might mean a little more. NCAA usually releases top 16 beginning of November, first week, second week. Which then they'll still figure out how to screw up between, you know, in the two-week window between releasing these and the actual bracket. But Gophers should be in good shape whenever those come out. Now that they've uh, taken a, a really big win on the road at Madison, how do you think the Gophers are looking against Michigan State this weekend? You should definitely expect another sweep this weekend when they face Michigan State. Yeah, Michigan State just high air, don't have kind of offensive firepower they would need to beat the Gophers. And although they did finally beat or break their streak of being swept, they lost in four sets to Purdue Wednesday night, which even in that though or that match, every set they got up early like five or six points and well only hung on to win one set. So Gophers should have no issue, but that will be on BTN, seven o'clock Saturday night, if you want to watch the Gophers pick up their 14th conference win. Excellent. Thanks again, Rachel. Hey, Andy, hockey things happened. One of them was good. One of them was bad. Which one do you want to start with? Hockey things did happen. Uh, Let's start with the men, because if it happened in Las Vegas, did it really actually happen? I, I mean, yes. I mean, what happens in Vegas is supposed to stay in Vegas, right? That's what all the TV commercials have taught us all over the last, you know, few years. Yeah, but those all involve, like, you know, drunken sexy times and losing money, not shitting the bet against UND. Well, fair enough. Uh, yeah, the Gophers did uh, not, well, they arguably played, well, not arguably, they did play their worst game of the year uh, Saturday night in Las Vegas. Uh, North Dakota beat Minnesota 3-1, to one, and uh, from... I did not watch TV because I'm one of those people that doesn't have cable and one of the four cable systems that actually broadcast. So I was listening on the radio. And uh, uh, one nice thing about the Gopher radio broadcast is uh, Wally Schaefer and Frank Mazzacco do not hide their feelings well. And uh, they were rather vocal that the Gophers were pretty much playing like dog shit, um, which was affirmed when uh, Bob Motzko and his uh, press on uh, Wednesday 
basically said, well, I didn't see how the Gophers played in the last four games of the year against Penn State to have their season end, but uh, I'm pretty sure I know what that uh, looks like after watching the Gophers play Saturday night. So um, that pretty much tells you all you need to know. The Gophers looked really listless. Uh, They scored the first goal of the game early in the uh, second period on a five-on-three uh, power play, which ended up being a five-man advantage, or five, sorry, five-minute major, um, but they didn't get another goal, didn't hardly get another shot on goal. North Dakota outshot the Gophers 30-2 to in the last 35 minutes of the game. So again, that pretty much tells you all you need to know is uh, the Gophers acted like they had the Vegas flu. I'm, I'm pretty sure they did not, but uh, they uh, didn't really come to play last weekend. So, um, the Gophers will get another chance against a ranked team, uh, in-state team. Uh, they have a home-and-home home this weekend against Minnesota State Mankato. Uh, the Mavericks are number three in the country right now, so it doesn't get any easier. Uh, Friday night, the Gophers will take them on in Mariucci, and Saturday night, they'll go down to the Verizon Center in Mankato, where they play that really insanely annoying ole, ole, ole score after they score a goal because they think it's some soccer match or something. But, uh, yeah, so that's fun. Damn hooligans and whatnot i don't know all right women they split with uh with uh wisconsin right yeah yeah they uh gophers went to madison the badgers were the number one ranked team in the country minnesota was number three um friday night they got a one nothing win uh sophomore emily brown scored the only goal of the game on a gopher power play in the third period um alex goldstein sophomore goalie got uh, her second shutout of the season um, and then Saturday, um, it was a back-and-forth game, but the Badgers took advantage of a couple of gopher turnovers and won the game. 4-1, um, to one, I believe, they got an empty net goal at the end. Um, so, yeah, split with the number one team on their on their home ice. You, you pretty much take that any day of the week. Uh, it was the Gophers' first win over the Badgers in Madison in about a year and a half, so that's always big. Um, and they actually moved up to number two in the polls this week after, after splitting. So... Uh, Minnesota number two, Wisconsin number one. They're they're back to being the two uh, power teams in the country, and they'll be fighting it out all season um, to see who can go into the NCAA tournament and hopefully uh, cause some noise. So, um, Gophers continue WCHA play this week. They get Bemidji State at Ritter for a pair of games. Uh, Minnesota should win handily both games they're much better than Bemidji State but the Gophers always sort of have a knack to occasionally play down to their uh, opponents at least one game on the weekend so hopefully the Gophers do what they need to do and and can get an easy sweep and uh, keep moving does Bemidji State still have that goalie who like just stands on her head all the time no she graduated uh, before last season so so she's gone Um, so that was yeah one of the reasons why the Beavers would occasionally steal a game here or there is they did have a goalie who was just insane and uh could steal a game on her own but yeah she has graduated and moved on so their uh, their new goalie is uh, not nearly as not nearly as good so like i said the gophers if they play up to their potential should have a uh, pretty easy pretty easy weekend this weekend especially at home but uh for whatever reason minnesota actually lately has been playing better on the road than they have at, at home um they went up to Duluth and, and took a win and a tie. They split in Madison. They uh, split at home against Ohio State. So uh, don't ask me why. I don't I don't get into the psychology of all that. But, uh, you yeah, it would be really big if the Gophers could uh, just get, get a needed sweep this weekend and uh, keep on keeping on. All right. Predictions. 
prediction time. All right, do we have another situation this week where we have both a 100-yard rusher and, let's say, a 250-yard passer? And we'll, we'll go Blake to start. Yeah, I think we I think that'll definitely happen, uh, especially with uh, you know Brooks is out, but we have Mohamed Ibrahim and we had Tanner Morgan in there. I would think they would easily cross that threshold. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think uh, if Illinois on defense is as bad as they sound, um, I, I do think that it's going to be a big day for the Gopher offense. I think uh, Ibrahim will have a good day. Uh, best case scenario, you get uh, Ibrahim a good 100, 150 yards, and you get uh, uh, you get Williams some good uh, rushing time in the fourth quarter, just garbage time rushing. If you can get two guys over 100 yards, that would be huge. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think the Gopher offense is primed for a uh, big day on Saturday. Street? Yeah, I think so, for similar reasons that Blake and Andy just said. <laughs> yeah, I left you a lot to work with there, sorry. Um, all right, which is more likely, the Gophers get three-plus sacks or they turn Illinois over twice? And we'll go to Street to start. The sacks, unquestionably. Though, Why? if I'm going to be honest, it, I would think the most likely event is that the Gophers are going to get close to sacking Illinois' quarterback several times and will miss. Mostly, turnovers to some extent are a little bit random, and as long as you continue to play super soft coverage, if any, if Illinois, not Indiana, if Illinois is going to do a lot of chunk plays and a lot of bad runs, I expect you see something similar. As far as I am aware, the weather is not supposed to be absolutely horrible, which is what I think part of the turnover problem for both teams last Friday was against Indiana. Fair enough. All right, scores. Andy, start us off. What do you think happens? Yeah, you know, I, I think the Gopher offense has proven the last couple of weeks that they're for real, especially against bad defenses, so they're going to show up. It's uh, just a matter going to be a matter of uh, whether the defense allows Illinois to stay in the game or whether they can get a few stops and let the Gophers turn this into a laugher. So, um, you know, I'm going to sort of hedge my bets and go a little bit of 50-50 that uh, Illinois probably makes this more of a shootout than it needs to be. Uh, but the Gophers figure things out in the end. So I'm going to say Minnesota is going to win this game, let's say, 45 to 31. Blake? Minnesota 34, Illinois 24. Street? Minnesota 31, Illinois 23. All right, and I'm going to say 35-17. So... Hey, we all got to predict a win. That's always worked out for us in the past. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Shush you. <laughs> all right, and on that note, thanks again for listening to the Skyu podcast. Go Gophers. Skyu Ma, row the boat. <laughs>